and it was raining. I said, okay, before all this book, uh, what I need to do as much as I can to save this book. I started collecting books and dumping my car. My car was all full of books and I was so sad because I couldn't save all of them. That was my first 150 books. And from there, I, I decided, okay, I think this is the time I need to start talking to teachers. I think teachers are emptying their classroom. So there is a lot of books out there. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. Why is reading culturally relevant books such an important part of language acquisition? What can educators do to make sure students have access to relevant and engaging reading materials, both at home and at school? How can providing access to books for immigrant families help promote educational equity? We discuss these questions and much more with Hermenegildo Paulo an inspirational educator and recent English language learner now working in Portland Public Schools in Maine. An educator and English language learner himself, Mr. Paolo cares deeply about overcoming inequities that impact the English language learner student population and their families. A native of Angola, Mr. Paolo is a passionate math educator who instructed students in kindergarten through college in classrooms of sometimes more than 80 students. During his decade of math instructional experience in Angola, he strived to use best practice and initiate new programs to develop supportive relationships with his students and their families. Upon moving to the United States, Mr. Paolo knew that his only way back into the classroom was through proficiency in English, a language that he did not speak. Starting in early 2017, he worked tirelessly to learn English and found himself back in the classroom less than a year after moving across the world. Currently, he works supporting English language learners and their families as a second language acquisition technician and interpreter at Reich School in Portland, Maine. He is excited to share information about his new program, Reading Refuges, which helps overcome home literacy inequity. Mr. Paolo works with students and their families to curate a home library, complete with first language and English books. Books are then placed in storage crates with a seat on top of them so children have a portable, comfortable place to enjoy a good book at home. Before we get started with our conversation with Hermenegildo Paulo, just a quick reminder that you can stay connected with us by joining our ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. There you can leave comments about this episode and others. You can also engage with great content like our short video series, blog posts, and articles. Finally, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us continue bringing you the best topics and guests on Highest Aspirations. As always, thanks for listening. Here's our conversation with Hermenegildo Paulo. Hermenegildo Paulo, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Oh, thank you so much, Steve. Thank you so much for interviewing me. Absolutely. I read your article a couple months back about the Reading Refuges program, and I just um, 
I was really inspired by it and I wanted to tell the story. So I think before we dive into the program, it is worth talking a little bit about your background. Um, one thing you told me when we last talked was that in 2016, you couldn't speak any English. Um, yeah. To me, that is a rem remarkable feat given where you are now and what you're doing. So I want to start by asking you, how does your personal experience inform the work you're doing now? Oh, thank you so much, Steve. Uh, first of all, I knew that in that time, English would be my, the only escape I had teaching. I, when I came to the United States, I, I, I would like to teach, and I knew that uh, the only way I would teach is learning English. So I have experienced homeless, homelessness when I came and uh, because of so many factors. Mm -hmm. And I, I was in shelter and I needed to take English three times a day. Oh, I had three classes, one in morning, one in afternoon and one in night. And at night before going, to sleep, I, I, I read a couple of hours, I think. And so you, I mean, you clearly took the time, and this was really, really important for you to know, and you think that motivation is probably what, what got you to where you are now. Absolutely. That, and that is what I've been trying to pass for those, the kids as well. Yeah. Most of them, they are in the same, same situation that I've been before. I understand their feelings. I understand what they are facing right now. And I also uh, I understand how and what is the solution to overcome all these challenges. So uh, this is what uh, uh, I've been doing right now. I, 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 I knew also that just the class would not make me where I am right now. Yep. I needed to read a lot at night. And uh, uh, this is what I've been doing also. Working yeah. with families, because the families are in the same situation I am. Some families, they don't have consistent housing right now. And some of them, they are moving. They're trying to figure out how to live in this country. They don't understand the school system and how they, the kids can succeed in this society. So I'm so glad to be in the position I am right now because I've been doing what I've learned from uh, 2016, but I started taking classes in January 2017. It was my first English class so was wow. in January. So I, I know that there was no way. And I know that uh, extra work would make me better English speaking. So I needed to work hard. Yeah, and boy, your experience is just so inspirational for all those students that you work with, and you you must bring an incredible amount of empathy, uh, which is something that we talk about all the time in school. I'm really glad we started with that question, um, and I'm also really glad that you mentioned some of the other factors that are outside of the school experience that these students are, um, are dealing with and that you dealt with on your own. I, I want to actually get into that a little bit and talk a little bit about the background of your school. You're in Portland, Maine, and I feel like Many people who think about Portland, Maine, probably don't think that it's a thriving immigrant community. I, I live close to there, so I know, and I know you know. Can you yeah. tell us how many languages are spoken um, in in Portland and, and and some of some of what they are? Yes, uh, uh, um, we have twenty two nations represented in school, 
and 29 languages are spoken in school. So I can just point in here some, just maybe few. Portuguese, Lingala, Arabic, Somali, Spanish, French, Kinarwanda, Farsi, Asholi, Kirundi, and English. So I have many, Tui, I have a language that I, I, I just, I found them. I haven't heard before. Yeah, yeah. Just like any... Any huge city, you know, we think about here at Elevation, we work with schools, you know, districts like Miami-Dade and Dallas and, and Houston and all these big cities. It's in Poland and in Maine, so it's yeah. very, and we, we have the highest, I think, uh, ELL population in district, in district, and I think uh, we've been trying very hard to support all of them. Yeah. Yeah, just all that is to say that, you know, in a district, in a place that you might not think if you're, you know, not living locally, that there is that incredible amount of diversity. There certainly is. Um, so I want to start to talk about the Reading Refuges program um, or project that you're involved in. Um, if you could tell us briefly kind of, you know, what it is um, and, and what was the problem that you were trying to solve when you put it together? So Reading Refuges is a... Is a a meal crate with a comfy seat and books in it. So that is the reading refuge. So you got a milk crate. So everybody picture a milk crate with a whole bunch of books and sort yes. of a comfortable cushion on top that somebody can sit on top of and read. Is that right? And, yes, that is a reading refuge. So over the last summer, I think I... I start to see inequities in our school and our students, not in just in, in my school, but talking to families, talking to, to teachers and, and seeing what was happening in different schools across the district. Uh, so I was reading, uh, I read a lot of uh, articles and research about uh, how to support Yale and mm -hmm. the, the, important, the importance of reading. So, and I start making ideas. I start, uh, these kids can uh, achieve high-level expectations, high-level content. So, when uh, the school year started, I think it was in September, uh, I went to a school to, to talk to someone. It was a, a middle school. Mm -hmm. When I was leaving the school, I saw... So in a dump trash, I think, lots of books. Yeah. Many books. But in that time, teachers, they were emptying their classroom. They were uh, updating books. They were also, we don't need this. I think, I don't need it. I don't know what to do. So they were dumping lots. So I saw the books. I said, this is, there's so many kids out there. They need these books. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Despite of the fact that they are old for some people, but there is so many people that they can't afford books. Right. So I start from now. And I remember in that, that, that day, it was so, it was very formal. It was wearing, so, so, and it was raining. I said, okay, before all this book that wet, I need to do as much as I can to save these books. <laughs> I start collecting books and dumping my car. My car was all full of books and I was so sad because I couldn't save all of them. Yeah. That was my first 100, 150 books. 
what an incredible story. Like I have that image in my mind of you in the he rain jumped, trying to pick up and save as many yes, books. Yes, it was someone that was just trying to save as much. Yeah. I, and from there, I, I decided, okay, I think this is the time I need to start talking to teachers. I think teachers are emptying their classroom. So there is a lot of books out there. So yep. and I started spreading the mess. And I collect, I think, my first talks just from teachers. So from there, I didn't stop. So I made an Amazon wishing list and I started spreading the idea and I set up a, 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 a donor choose account just for first language. So by the time I had the books, so now I start thinking, yes, I can make this happen because I have books. The only thing I can also, I want to start asking for donation for, uh, Crate donations. So I got my first 20 crates. I said, oh, now I can start. So, and they got another 30 crates. And so people, they were trying, to, oh, what do you want trying to do? I was explaining to them what, and many people was uh, helping and they still do right now. That's great. I mean, I feel like once a teacher knows that they don't have to throw these books away, that there's a home for them and there's a place that they can go to, yes. to donate them, they're going to do it. I mean, you know, you, I saw that 17 years of teaching every, at the end of every year, it was like this, you're just purge, you know, I, I want to clean my classroom and get rid of everything. And yes. you sort of cracked the code. And I had again, that like picture of you in the rain trying to save these books. Yeah, that was, that was yeah. funny. I was okay. And when I, I got home, I said, wow. Oh, so I did the very good. I don't care if my my, my clothing are not great. I was sucked of wet over right. body, and my car was completely full of. I didn't have space even to. I put books everywhere I could. So that was very good. That is very good still. That was the day I started thinking that that can be this can be possible. I think I can collect book and give it to kids. Yeah, it sounds like the opening scene of a of a movie, maybe someday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. so this, I mean, you know, this idea um, uh, of cultural responsiveness, uh, cultural culturally responsive teaching, is something that we that we talk about quite a bit, and it seems like that's certainly something you're trying to do with with a, with a project. You know, and and you, you mentioned that you you know you you set up an Amazon wish list, you saved a bunch of books from the trash, you're asking for donations. Um, so you have a lot of ways of getting books, but I'm curious, looking at it from a culturally responsive lens, knowing that students are speaking different languages, they have different experiences, um, they want different books. Not every student's going to be interested in the same thing. So how do you go about finding out which books would be best for the students you serve, both in terms of the reading level and the cultural connections, not to mention just like what they're interested in, what they want to read and what they will read? So... Yeah, responsiveness was something that I uh, I had focus on it, but uh, the idea of read what you want is a leisure for some. It's not everybody has the ability to choose what books you want to read. So in that time, I just was balancing. So what uh, what do I have with me, and what the, kids were asking to, to in that time I didn't think about that I was just collecting and relying on what I was, I was getting there. so but my Amazon wish list yes that was when I was selecting specific books yeah. thinking about what 
what what book would be great for each kids and because of also uh, uh, of my relationship with teacher my position is very flexible and i'm all over the school and i i i know most of the students i work with almost all of them in some way Mm-hmm. And teacher, uh, I needed to talk to teachers, and the teacher was they were giving me some feedback uh, in order to understand better each kid. And from there, I I I just okay. I have these books, I have these donations, and I have this. And I was a little bit more aware of the culture, um, the culture responsiveness on the first language books, on home language books. Sure. That is where I was very focused. So because I, I, on my Amazon wish list, I, I tried to get on books in Portuguese, Somali, Arabic, Lingala, Acholi, Kurund, and these some of them they were just in t- translating from English to put to to the language, mm-hmm. and some of them they were yeah some uh, writers from the those countries, and that was my big focus and uh, trying to include as much multicultural books on the Amazon wishlist. That is was I, I had the ability to do that. Maybe now now I, I have been now having uh, more books and they I, I'm selecting a little more uh, and I'm being a little more strict and be a little more aware of this this and my next group of kids they will have a little bit more uh, uh, books and uh, books that they were they are uh, uh, they match with their personality with their background with what the family wants them to read so I'm, I'm i'm getting there now but when i started i was just okay it's a book first of all it's a book and then let's stick with book and the idea is uh, families reading together and kids they reading they match they can at home in order to to access high life content yeah a, a couple a couple great points there number one i'm glad that you know you you are making an effort to try to get some of these books in the first language because research shows and we all know as educators that it is important for students to maintain that first language and then as you mentioned if you want parents to be in families to be involved oftentimes you know they don't have the english skills so you want to have that family engagement piece um yeah. And, and I, wa- I want to follow up with, with two things. You, you know, you've mentioned two really important elements here. One, your relationship with teachers in your school. And two, your relationship with students' families. So let's start off by talking about the work that you're doing with teachers. Um, you know, you mentioned that you know all the students and that you talk with teachers about the students' interests. But, and you said you have a very flexible situation. But I'm curious for listeners out there, who are trying to develop better relationships with teachers, how, what is it that you would um, recommend to them for establishing those relationships, and really helping them help you understand what their students need? Oh, that is a very good question because uh, that is uh, one of the, uh, the most, not question, but... Uh, conversation I've been having with teachers mm-hmm. because many teachers they don't understand when they get the student they they look to the student and they say okay 
Now, where do I start? I don't know much. I have very few information from the report I got from my administration. So where I start? So it's very important to understand a little bit of their, their culture, what they like and how they live, what dad, what mom and dad are doing, what is the availability, what is the culture at home, and what language, what is the first language, how many languages they are doing at home, and if they can learn one word in that language and make sure that I'm, I care about him or yeah. care about her. I want to be with her. We are this. We are on this together. And I know that's very overwhelming in the first day without speaking English sometime. But when students understand that teacher cares about him or her or their, he tries to feel like, okay, I don't know the English, but I have someone who cares about me, someone who he willing to help me. And the other thing is you start building communication and we need to structure expectations and and how can everybody can access in these kids can access also the culture of the classroom without speaking English. Right. Make posters, make a color, make something that then makes signals that they can understand. I can communicate with someone even though I don't speak the language. So from there, well, they start feeling belong, belonged, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Part of the group. And it, by the time they feel part of the group, everything starts being a little easier. Mm -hmm. You feel like even he, he shows that he wants something and you look to his bad language, to his face, you can feel like, oh, he wants to say something. Try as much as you can. And if you... The teacher set up something, some sign of a sheet that kids can rely on to ask questions, to, to, to make a point even. It's going to be much, much easier, the, the relationship between a ELL or a student that doesn't speak English and teacher. Yeah, you know, and, and so much of what you're talking about here, and we've talked about this before on the podcast and in other resources, is establishing a human connection. You know, yeah. it, it's really hard to, to educate a student, whether they're an English learner or not, unless you have trust and some kind of relationship. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, that can be difficult for a teacher who has never worked with English learners before. And that's the case for a lot of teachers. Uh, you know, they can feel frankly, they can feel intimidated. Um, you know, that I don't, the student obviously is the one who feels most intimidated. They don't speak the language, but the teacher, uh, you know, feels hesitant, feels, what do I do to serve this student? And what you're saying is so important. And I'm glad that you, 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 you talk with the teachers that you work with and others when you're doing professional development, which I understand you're doing as well, yeah. about establishing a human connection, connection. learning one word. That's not difficult. Uh, you know, like you said, putting together some body language or posters or things that are going to allow students to make a connection and then the learning begins. Am I accurate there? I don't want, I want to make sure that I'm not. Yes, yes, yes. Perfectly. So I, I, I have been doing a, a PD all across the district and also if uh, now I'm going to, to universities talking to, to young educators 
students that they want to be a teacher and that is so important that is and, so important um, that you're doing that yeah and some of them they uh, they haven't had a, a, a ell or a very diverse classroom uh, or some of them they have and they don't know what to do and so i've been talking and building resources to them and trying to understand how and together how we can set up a equitable, equitable classroom yep. with all these pieces, the space, the instruction, the learning, uh, and the communication. And when I talk about communication, I, I, I mean by that uh, communication with students and with families, you need to, you need to make to find any way to make your communication with parents as equitable as possible. Some of them, they have access to emails. Some of them, they don't. Some of them, they, you can test. Some of them, they, eh. So the, you need to understand and find how can I pass my message for all of them. And there is so many ways to do that. So uh, there is a lot of pieces that you need to understand in order to deliver your, your kids equitable. Yeah. And you just mentioned the second part of what I wanted to get into. I, we could spend a lot more time talking about relationships with teachers, but I want to make sure that we also get into families because that's a, you do a lot of that work as well. And when we last talked, you said that you, you interview all the parents of uh, first before, you know, figuring out what books the students are, are going to get. Um, could you talk about how you go about doing that and, and, and maybe give any, uh, advice or recommendations to listeners about how you engage with families in a way that makes them partners in the process? Yes. Yeah, so that, that piece took me a, a lot of work as well because I need to make sure that um, the schedule match with the parent duties. And so that took a lot of work. And I needed to do that without, uh, without uh, making my work also in, in check or I needed to do this in the same day in most of the time I needed to be in school for more than uh, uh, more than school yeah you need a balance you I need a balance to balance. So, took a lot of time but the other thing is I tried to instead of having just one parent conversation I tried to match each meeting with three or four parents that was kind of a workshop Conversation between two or th was most of the time three or four parents and had the same message and feedback from them. And that was so remarkable because they didn't understand how, most of them didn't understand how important the reading, reading was at that time. I showed them statistics, strategies, how the family would benefit from the project and they also most of them they don't they don't speak english and some of them they are learning english and they, i try to to show them how all of the integrant of in at home would benefit from that if you don't read in english read in your own language don't don't read once if you it's just one book you can read the same book twice it is three books schedule time so we had the conversation and we try to understand why the project was 
about and why we were doing that. And I tried to mention to them that this is the only way, the only way how kids would achieve where they want to achieve. And I asked them, and that was one very good question. I asked them, all of them, that was kind of a, 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 a convergence in all of the parents. I asked, who do you want your kids to become? Yeah. And a lot of them, they have very high level expectation to them. <laughs> all of them, they want, my kid needs to succeed, wants, needs to be a doctor, this yes. And what and how do you want them to reach them? That is not gonna happen just because you want. And how can we, and that, and from there, we start, they were trusting the project. They were, okay, if this is the way my kid needs to go to reach there, I'm in. And I can say, I had almost all the parents that I, I spoke to, and because I couldn't, I couldn't talk to all of them because of so many reasons. And some, for some, some we, we, we I, I text some of them, we, talked on phone, but some of them we couldn't have uh, find the time to talk, but these kids, uh, nothing prevented them to access the books. The, and most of the parents I have talked, the kids are so engaged right now. By the time he got at home, changed the environment of all of the kids after our conversation. He, he, set up i think set up a, a, a schedule he unplugged the tv he collected all of kids telephones and the kid came to me the day after the municipal i think my dad didn't understand you very well because the question was books why did i lose my cell phone why don't I have time to watch TV where, the way I used to? From there, many families, they change their environment. They change the, the way they real, because some of them, they, they, they thought that having a cell phone, having technology was the best way to educate the kids. Yeah. And from that, we changed it. And I'm, I'm very glad to know and to hear from some kids that they are really more than they used to be. Right. What a great story. The, I mean, the idea of, you know, balancing technology and cell phones and TVs and video games is one that we all fight. I certainly do fight it every day with my own kids. But I think there's a couple pieces in what you just said that are really important to bring up. One, uh, the idea that you bring in groups of parents together. I mean, you know, you can engage in, in interesting conversations when there's more than, you know, just one person. If there's somebody quiet, then somebody else can do the speaking and there's somebody else listening. Then the fact that you show them statistics and data and research around the importance of reading. And the culminating piece for me, and this has been documented in research as well, the simple question of you ask it as, who do you want your kids to become? Uh, it was such a great question that brings the parents in and they're all going to have high expectations for their kids. And then you saying, well, based on what we just talked about, you know, this is the path to get them there. And that again, it's, it's a, it's a human connection and it's a personal uh, connection and a partnership to help achieve the goals that these parents have um, for their children. I think that's 
that's amazing. And I think, you know, every listener can take at least one thing out of what you just said and, and apply it right away. You know, it's not, it's difficult, it's hard work, but there's elements of this that you can do right away, which I think is really great. And I appreciate it. So you've given us a lot of information and, and, and uh, you know, ideas to think about. And I know this is a relatively new project for you, and it seems to be taking off and going really, really well. Um, but I'd love to know, to hear kind of what you've learned so far. Um, maybe, you know, if you stumbled, if there was a mistake you made, how would you do it differently? Um, or, or, and or, you know, what advice would you give to listeners who are, who are thinking about, hey, I'm listening to this and I want to do something like this. What's the first step? That, uh, that somebody should take to get something like this off the ground? I think, believe that it's possible to make 20 plus books in someone's house, a kid's house, because my idea is still the, the idea of building libraries school, because uh, I, 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 my, my project has three main points one is equity the second one is if you read is a research also if you read at least 20 minutes a day just 20 you can acquire over the the the, the year more than 1 million 80 100,000 words so that it's hard data yep that is what i'm this is what i i, I talk to them is Start with 20, don't, and you can split the 10 in four. So, right, read five, 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 right? Read 10, 10. If you are interested to start, feel free to keep going. But I just want you to start with 20, at least 20 minutes a day. The other resource is the, 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 if you have at least 80 books at home, so the kid might have two or more years of education compared with their peers that they are with them in classroom. So I also thought that I still think that I can make 80 books at least in someone else's house in order to uh, propel their education. And uh, uh, these pieces, I'm not there yet, but I've learned that if you talk to a parent before you start the project, the probability to succeed is, is better because I'm having resistance from students that they are on project, but I, I haven't talked to their parents and they are not ready, these kids. They, they, they need support. And I uh, have been now, this is my challenge now. I have two or three kids among of 60. So I I am learning how to talk to parents, how to engage them. And I've been now going to, uh, to a, a, a trainings right now, how to engage and create a hook so kids can read more. So this is another very big thing I've been doing now. Uh, but I learned that there is so many kids that they haven't had books. I have kids that told me, crying that this this is the best thing that happened in my life hmm. ever nobody never have had gave me uh, too any books 
plus my mom and my dad's book so we can read together yeah yeah i have had never someone i now i'm almost in middle school but i never this is the best time in my life that was remarkable was beautiful and i i I met kids that they don't want to share this is they don't want to share the books with their siblings Never. This is my books. I need to read them. And Mr. Paul told me, it's my library. I need to start building my library. Don't, I don't want, so, because I know people and my, my wife also has kids that they have, because she teaches at, at middle school and I teach elementary school. So we have siblings yeah. and we are sharing stories. This is, and she now is, she's famous also because kids, they reach out to her asking my 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 brother my sister got books from someone so but he doesn't want us to touch the book nobody so i'm learning and I'm so happy to hear that kids are and some of them they they read they've read already the 20 books and i'm now asking them to come and because i i got donations almost every day it, people are uh, so i i am not there but if you can share with parents statistic and yep. and a resource that shows how important reading is yeah it's remarkable everybody parents might change because sometimes it's not because they don't want to they don't know how to do they it. don't know you don't know what to do right in many in many countries reading is not culture there is no books and coming to united states you need to decide if you will bring clothing or, 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 or you don't bring book you right if, if you have one you won't bring those because there's no you need to prioritize and book is not going to be priority in that time right I, I grew up without books as well and there is not even a library if there is no book if there isn't there is place around the world there isn't life so the idea of of sharing how important reading is not don't assume that he might know don't yeah. assume just talk if he knows good he's gonna give you also his idea if he he, he or she doesn't he's gonna go home and change something he's right. gonna change something that, that 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 is is what i suggest now talk to parents things they would change and you might get a result you want yeah, you know, and this all it just it just keeps coming back to the importance of family engagement and having families and parents um, as partners. And the other thing that I would take out of what you just said, talking about you know what advice we would give to others. One, obviously, you know, make connections with parents, um, but also I think I think you also brought up another good point, which is don't assume number one that these students have books, and yeah. two, don't assume that the parents are thinking that reading is a priority. Um, yes. That is part of your job and your role to educate not only the student, but the families that this is, uh, <laughs> frankly, this is the way to, to be as successful as you've been over the last four, three, four years, you know, learning language. English is really, yeah. uh, reading is really an important piece of that. And they so, still do. Yeah, right, I mean, you're, it doesn't stop. I mean, it, no. it's become- English a, is a very hard language to learn. There is not, there is not a, 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 a one rule. 
exceptions. So that makes the language harder to read. Because sometimes when you just learn the rule, you apply the, the same rule for all the situations. Right. Easier. But no, English, you have one rule for 20 yes. situations. And it is not, a, no, no, no. That rule doesn't apply here. Yeah, it doesn't work it, here. That, it doesn't apply here. But you look to the, so it, it, the same situation, the same word, the same yeah. sentence, but the rule is not the same. So it's, maybe, it's, it's a very frustrating language. When I taught uh, high school Spanish, I used to tell my students that when they were frustrated learning Spanish, I said, you have no idea how easy you have it because you speak English and Spanish. Generally, the rules from irregular stuff. But, yes. you know, in terms of learning it, there is a pattern. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a really good point. English is not an easy language to learn. So. So we're taught, we, we, we've, as we wrap up here, we, we've, we've sort of based this whole conversation around the idea of reading in books. And so this question that I'm going to ask you next is a question that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's even more applicable to your experience. So I, I want to know, um, is there a book or other resource that has had a, a profound impact on you um, that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, yes. Three books that they think they've changed my life. One is The Giver, Lois Lowry, I think. Uh, the Giver was my first book I, have, I learned, I, I read in English. It was very hard for me. From that book, I, I read another one. So I was attending SMCC, the community college, the uh, South Maine Community College here in Maine. After four months of English, very intensive English, I went to English at SMCC. And I needed to read The Giver. So the book they were reading in that class, I was reading level, I think 75, I don't remember, was The Giver. I said, mm -hmm. I'm going to read. I don't have English. I don't have enough English to read a book. But it was what I had to, to read. And I read. After that, my class, the the class ahead of me, my with my friends, they were also in. They were reading Tuesdays with Maury. Oh yeah, classic. Albert. I said, okay. Oh, in the we were sharing ideas. We were just, so we were so excited because we haven't in that time ever read book in English. So I was sharing the giver ideas, and they were sharing me Tuesdays with Maury. So by the time I finished the giver, I read. Tuesday with more, and they give, they read the giver, so that was very. From that, I read the other the giver also, and the, the follow up. And it didn't like the story because it was not connection, and it was okay. And then lately, because of the work I've been doing, I read is everyone really equal? I think it's Oslin. I think it's Oslin. With Robin D'Angelo, something like that. We'll post it. We'll make sure we put the author on the on the show notes. I think it's Oslin Sensori. I think Sensori, and I think Oslin Sensori, and the Robin D'Angelo. That changed my mind a lot because there is that is school setting. That is what is equity in school settings, and mm -hmm. that uh, opened a lot of ideas in my mind and I start seeing equity in different view. I, it gave me different perspective about how we are working and what you we have to do to, to, to get there. We have a long way to go. 
Yeah. Three great books. So The Giver Tuesdays with Maury and Is Everyone Really Equal? And we'll link to all those books um, uh, on, on the show notes at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, as we always do. Thank you for providing us with those books. And my last question is an important one. Uh, I know that you're doing a lot of work in your school and now in your district and outside of your district. And I think you said that you're starting a, a website and you have a Facebook page. So how can people learn more about the work that you're doing? Because I have a feeling many listeners are going to be inspired to take a next step. Yeah. So I have a, a Facebook, Reading Refuge has a Facebook page and we are working, we are working on, working on our uh, website. I think it's going to come up uh, this week, final of this week or beginning of the, the next so doing what you you just said is the, the PDs and a lot of work about equity in classroom, and people are reaching out to me by email. So it's Paul H. Poland Public Schools. That all. P A is my last name and my initial names, and at the Poland Public Schools. At all, so that is where I, 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 people can find me and know what I'm doing. Great, and I will link to all those as well. And I learned about your work through an article. I think it was from one of the Portland newspapers, and I'll make sure I link to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, as well, you know, I think we just scraped the surface of uh, of a lot of different topics, but you know, you tied equity in throughout this entire conversation. You tied family engagement in throughout this entire conversation, and most importantly. Uh, the power of of reading and the human connection um, that that we need to to get these students um, to where where they need to be and and you know I'll just sort of um, end here by by saying thank you Paolo for all the work that you're doing and you truly are uh, an inspiration um, I'm sure to people who are listening now uh, and to your students given you know your experience um, and and how far you've come and, and what you're doing with it so. I, I could say that, you know, on behalf of everybody Elevation here, um, thank you for what you do. We're, we're, we're really proud to have you on the podcast and, and tell your story. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.